Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. And don't forget to go follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Today's show is great. The first segment lined up is going to be how to care for your senior pet. Yes, you know, it's the toughest time in their life, hard time for a part of our lives, and we want to do the best we can to give them the best quality care and the best last years. Then the next segment's going to be, let's go swimming with our dogs. Learn how to get your dog in the pool, right? Maybe your dog's a little bit fearful. Let's see if we can't talk about how to curb some of that and get them in there in a happy and healthy way. Then comes our Breed of the Week, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Now, before we get the show going today, got to give you that trivia question. Today's question is, what is a group of cats called? Yes, what is a group of cats called? I'll give you the answer to that question in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's how to care for your senior pet. One of the hardest things about having a dog is watching them grow old. You know, it feels like we have such a short amount of time with our friends as it is. And I mean, I, I hate to say it, but maybe that's best. I mean, I any longer and I can't imagine losing them. It's hard enough as it is. Can could you imagine having your dog for 30 years and then losing them? I mean, oh gosh, you're just that much more attached and that much more of a bond with them. So um, it, it's it's a tough thing, you know, it's a tough time. And, you know, as you guys know, any of my regular listeners, we lost our uh, half lab, half great Dane Penny Lane back in March. She was 12 and a half years old. And, um, you know, I've had two other senior dogs in my care that we've lost. Um, it was Penny's the most recent. And then Lucky, uh, he was a half lab, half golden retriever. He lived to be 15 years old, actually. I mean, wow. Um, but, you know, caring for him was was not easy, was not easy at the end. And it's not always easy caring for a senior pet. And before Lucky, we had Mr. Fred. Fred lived to be 13. He was half lab, half St. Bernard. You know, I like to think it's a testament to how much we love our dogs, uh, my wife and I, and and the care that we try to give them, which is obviously the best care that we could possibly give. Um, and I think it's a testament because they all lived to be to ripe old ages, you know, and that's just, it's awesome, but it's also sad. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, it's a tough thing. It is. And I know, you know, people, I know people that have dealt with losing a dog or losing a pet, and it's just, it's so hard that they can't even do it again. They, they can't even go through that again because of the bond and the attachment that they had with their animal. And, you know, I get it. I, I really, I really, really do. I get it. But the to me, it's and even look, even after losing my, my last one, Penny Lane, and she was, she, we got her at a puppy, you know, from a puppy. My wife and I were um, just married when we got her, just before we got married, actually. And it was hard when she passed away. I almost looked at my wife when, like, I know this is what I do for a living, but I don't know that I want to get another one, you know. And, of course, I that was right after it happened. And you, you, you remember all the wonderful memories you have with your dogs and the joy that they bring you. And you want to be able to 
give back the best you possibly can in the last years of their life, right? There are a lot of great ways that we can do that. To me, you know, it starts with the the health side. We have to look at the veterinarian. We got, we got to call our vets <laughs> and make sure we're giving our older dogs regular checkups, regular blood work. That's going to be the first way that we can ensure to care for our senior pet in a, in a you know in the best way possible is making sure they have proper veterinary care, making sure we know that they're staying in good health. You know, dogs... Their, their health can slip quickly as they age and things can change rapidly when as they get older and especially when they get really old. So it's really important that you have a good idea of what's going on with your dog medically and you're keeping a close eye and close tabs on those. So definitely get with your, your veterinarian and talk about setting up whatever kind of plan might be best for you. Um, but definitely get them regular blood work, regular checkups. That's going to ensure you're staying ahead of any potential health issues. That's the very first way. And speaking of, you know, the vet side of it, um, let's talk about food and diet and all those kind of things. You know, it's just like a person, guys. We, we want to have our dogs eating a healthy, full, well-rounded diet, if you will, you know, and as dogs get older, you definitely are going to want to think about switching over to potentially a senior food, you know, some kind of a food that's more geared toward senior dogs. Now, this is the time again to talk to your veterinarian, ask them what's going to be best, okay? Um, but not only the proper food, we can do other things. There's all kinds of great supplements and vitamins and all kinds of good stuff. Now, the first thing is fish oil. Let's keep it natural. Let's start there. Fish oil, glucosamine. Those are the two basic ones as an animal gets older. Now, fish oil is one of those things where you can be giving fish oil to your dog even when they're younger. It's great for their skin. It's great for their joints. Um, a lot of good stuff. Fish oil is good for us too, right? It's good for humans. So you can actually give your dogs fish oil. Um, they make great you know, supplements through your veterinarian. You can get. You can use regular fish oil too, but do be sure you're checking on how much fish oil your dog should be getting. And you're going to want to start fish oil slow. <laughs> Don't just give them the full dose right away because you're going to possibly be dealing with an upset stomach and some diarrhea. So definitely take it slowly. Introduce them to fish oil slow. But that's one of those things that can really go a long way toward helping those joints stay healthy. Glucosamine, that's the next one. Um, you know, as we age, human beings and, and dogs as well, our bodies actually, our bodies naturally produce glucosamine. However, as we age, it tends to decrease over time right? The amount of glucosamine our body produces usually doesn't keep up with what we really need. So oftentimes, human beings too, you have a glucose supplement, a glucosamine pill. Your dogs are going to need glucose as well. Once again, get with your veterinarian and ask them about the proper dosage for your dog. But fish oil and glucose is sort of where it, where it starts. And I know uh, my veterinarian is, is a, a big advocate of those, definitely starting more toward the natural side if we can. Now, there are other great supplements that are doing wonders for dogs, guys. Dasequin. I have to talk about Dasequin. There's also Cosequin, but Dasequin is one that my uh, my, my golden, my male golden retriever, as he's gotten older, Penny Lane used to be on Dasequin. Fred was on Dasequin. Um, Dasequin is a great, great medication uh, supplement. It's an over-the-counter. Again, though, ask your vet if it's what's going to be best for you. But Dasequin is one of those things that really has helped with joint pain, inflammation, um, and I've seen multiple my client dogs. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've seen where the dogs are aging and they're starting to limp and you can see a considerable amount of slowdown with them. Put them on glucose or excuse me, put them on Dasequin and it's like night and day. It's like a young dog again. Um, so Dasequin a great, great medication, uh, over the counter medication supplement more along the lines of a supplement to be able to help your dog as they age. 
Now, of course, guys, massage. What about massage, doggy massage? There's people who actually do that uh, and know really what they're doing, but you can even give your dogs massages if you know there's a specific joint. Uh, Colby Jacks had a, a shoulder issue when he was a puppy. He had, and I might butcher what it was called, it's been so long, uh, osteochondrosis, I believe. Yeah, it's osteochondrosis. Um, and he had to have surgery for it. But you can tell over, you know, over the years that shoulder is definitely a little more sore, a little more tender than his other shoulders. And I go in there and just give him a nice little light massage there. And you can tell it, 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 it helps. It makes a difference just like for us, right? Um, so something like doggy massage is great. Acupuncture. I'm a big advocate of acupuncture for humans. I love acupuncture and acupuncture can be great for dogs. A lot of my, my veterinarian does acupuncture. I know other vets in the area, local veterinarians in the area that do acupuncture and it really can be wonderful. You know, acupuncture is all about opening up circulation, right? Creating better circulation in your body, uh, reducing inflammation. And obviously, as we age, those kind of things happen, right? So acupuncture can be wonderful for dogs. They've, we've seen some great results um, using acupuncture on, on pets. So that's something to, to definitely consider. You know, I, I'm I, I try to go, I'm not holistic by any means, but at the same time, I try to go for a natural, if you will, holistic approach first, and then we can take it up from there. That's just, that's my approach. I definitely, you know, I use medications with my dogs, obviously. My dogs are vaccinated. Uh, we're not getting into this discussion today, but <laughs> but I will say, just like I said with the fish oil, the glucosamine, massage, acupuncture, I try to go for those things first, and if they work, awesome, great. We don't have to do anything further. If they don't, hey, then we can let modern medicine and Western medicine uh, play its role in our dog's life. But that's just my personal view. Now, another thing that people don't think about enough, swimming. Okay, we had that great segment today on how to teach your dogs to swim. Swimming is so good for older dogs, just like, again, human beings, same thing, guys. Swimming can be really great for joints. And especially if you have an older dog who has who has some pain, swimming can be easier on them than walking or, of course, not running. Uh, but, you know, think, even if we're taking for our dog for a walk in the neighborhood, you're walking on concrete, you're walking on asphalt, it can be a little hard on their joints. It can be a little hard on their legs and their bones. And so swimming is a wonderful way that that resistance can actually help them feel better. It can actually help build muscle and it puts less stress on them. So get your dog swimming. Awesome way. Now, I think the most important thing, the most, and besides, besides obviously the medical care and being sure we're getting ahead of potential disease and potential, the biggest thing the biggest thing, and I think this is a huge contributor to why my dogs had such long, wonderful lives. I kept them active, even at the end. Now, my activity may only be 10 minutes of a little walk down the road. That's what we were doing with Fred. Uh, toward the end, we had to stop the walks all to, you know, couldn't handle. He was a big dog. Um, and obviously, every individual is going to be a little bit different. But guys, keep your dogs active and keep them around other dogs. Go visit your friend's dogs. Maybe go to the go to the dog park. If you have a dog park you like, even if your dog's older and doesn't necessarily play with everyone, maybe he goes in and says hi and then plops down and that's it. That can be so good for him. That's or them, her, him. That socialization, guys, that being around younger dogs, that influence, I truly believe it had such a great impact on my older dogs and keeping them active and 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 healthy and you know around at the end. Um so if you can walk your dog, even if it's only five or 10 minutes because they're a little older, do it. 
do it every day, do it as much as they can, get them around other dogs, keeping them mentally engaged, not just physically. You know, it's more than that. It really is. Um, and I think, like I said, I think to me that's that's without a doubt the most important thing, keeping your dog active and around other dogs. That's what helps keep them youthful, right? Now, there's other things we can do. Uh, obviously, you know, dog beds. How many awesome dog beds are there out there now? You know, there's orthopedic dog beds. There's... Um, I think, you know, Serta is making dog beds, the mattress company. (laughs) So there's orthopedic dog beds. There's even heated dog beds. How awesome is that? I do use a heating pad sometimes on my dogs, Colby Jack, Um, you know, his shoulder. Penny, we used to do that for her legs a little bit. And it helps, right? Loosens everything up. So a heating pad or a heated dog bed definitely can help out ramps guys with our old guys, with our old dogs, even something as simple as a step up into your house, right? If you've only got two steps up into your house, get a ramp for your dog. That can be a tremendous amount of stress. And if they're going outside, you know, four, six, eight, ten times a day to relieve themselves, think how many times in and out, in and out, in and out, they're having to put that extra stress on their joints. They make all kinds of great dog ramps now. I mean, there are so many dog ramps out there. You can put one in your house, use it for the car. Uh, another great way to just reduce the amount of stress you're putting on them. There's also uh, support slings, right? They actually make these slings. This is when your dog's getting quite a bit older. We're into that geriatric care. You know, your, your dog's getting really old and they need that extra help. You know, if they're really not as active as much, you're at that stage, then by all means, get a support sling, right? It's a sling that fits under their stomach, fits under their chest with handles that allows you to lift up and provide some lift. And again, further just reducing that stress. Okay, all these little things, all these little in-between things. How about elevating dog bowls? Now, there's maybe some studies and people that say you should always have your, you know, if you've got a bigger dog, especially you should always have your dog food bowls elevated. I'm not saying they have to be, they don't have to be. I, you know, look, I've seen plenty of dogs over the years that have eaten every single meal off the floor, large dogs, and they do just fine. They don't have digestive issues and they're good. So we're not going to get into that debate today. However, from the perspective of an older dog, you know, as they get older and they're really, and they're a large dog, Bending over to the floor, reaching down that far can hurt. I mean, I've seen some dogs struggle, you know, to, to hold themselves up with their arms because of that, that, that bend that they're doing. So having an elevated dog bowl can help make it easy on them too. Another thing is we're, you know, unfortunately as we're aging and getting up there, sometimes your dog, especially at night, you know, night vision is one of those things that's the first to go uh, with a dog. And while yes, they have a great sense of smell, Maybe mentally, mentally they're going a little bit and the vision's going a little bit. Maybe their sense of smell is going a little bit. They may have a harder time finding their way around your house. So if you notice their night vision's going a bit, add some night lights. You know, I know it's, it may sound a little ridiculous, but add some night lights for your poor pup. They, they might need that to help get around. And speaking of, you know, a little confusion, how about adding some extra water bowls? That's one thing older dogs tend to to do is they tend to forget to drink enough or maybe they can't find that water bowl. And of course, we want to make sure that we're keeping them hydrated. So maybe a couple different bowls around the house. Put one in your bedroom, maybe, right? If your dog sleeps with you in the bedroom, that way in the middle of the night, they find themselves thirsty. They don't have to go too far. It makes it easier for them. So that's a big one I think that people maybe don't think about. As your older dog, if they're sleeping a lot and they're not getting up a lot, maybe they're a little confused. 
they're not going to be finding that water bowl as often. So help them out with that. You know, it's, it's a tough time, guys. It's a tough time watching our animals and our dogs get older. And so we just want to try to make their last years the best that they possibly can be. Give them the best quality of life that we can. I don't know if I can ever give my dogs back the amount that they've given me. You know, they've given me so much in life, just joy, a career. I mean, everything my own dogs have given me and continue to give me. And I'm so grateful for it. And so again, I think, I think it's, it's our duty. It's our job. It's our responsibility to make sure that, you know, they have the happiest last days that they possibly can. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speak a Dogcast, let's go swimming with our dogs. Yes, this is going to be an awesome segment today. We're going to be talking about how to get your dogs acclimated to the pool, how to get them swimming, and of course, how to do it safely and happily. <laughs> we want our dogs to be happy if we can get them happy with the pool. Um, but first, I want to say thank you. First of all, thank you to everybody that listens. Thank you to all my regular listeners, new listeners. But thank you to one listener in particular who actually gave me the idea for this segment. They they wanted to hear about learning to teach a dog to swim. They commented on the Instagram, and here we are doing it. You know, awesome. I love it. I love it. So if you guys have any suggestions for any segments, if you have something you want to hear me talk about, please feel free to comment on my Instagram or email me, questions at Speak a Dogcast or at Speak a Dogcast on Instagram. Um, love it. Keep it coming. So, so thank you guys. Um, so, okay. So today, how do we get a dog swimming? You know, this is, this is going to be a good segment. I like this because swimming is definitely one of my favorite activities to do with my dogs. It's a great way to get exercise for your dogs, a great way to keep them happy, great supplement, you know? Um, so, Swimming is one of those things where, yes, it's fun, but there's also the safety factor. You know, I got to go back to it, have to mention it. It's important, just like a child, right, that they know how to swim. Your pets know how to swim and they know how to find the steps in your pool. They know how to find the edge. So even if your dog at the end of the day, maybe, you know, some dogs aren't built the best for swimming or maybe just don't love it and that's fine, but we can, we can do our best to try to get them acclimated. We're going to talk more about this, but the point is whether your dog loves or hates swimming, they need to know how to do it. They need to know where the steps are. You know, years ago when we bought our first house with our first pool, I made sure all of my dogs knew how to get out of the pool, knew where the steps were, even my cat. <laughs> my cat likes to spend a lot of time on the patio. So we felt, you know, it was really important that my cat 
one, I we, we see what she does. You know, number one, I want to see what she does when she goes in the pool. Number two, that I know she can get out safely. God forbid, guys, your dog, your cat, say a child falls in the pool unattended. We want them to know how to get out of that situation safely, okay? So my cat we put in the pool. Lucky for us, she's a fish. <laughs> she really is. She just, more like a duck. I mean, she just jet through the water on the surface. She can climb herself out of anywhere in the pool, any side. She just reaches up and pulls herself out without any problems. So it's good to give yourself peace of mind and, of course, know that your animals are going to be safe. So that's 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 something, you know, yes, it's fun, but there's also the safety aspect of it. Okay, so getting dogs to swim in the pool, I think one of the biggest, first of all, one of the biggest problems that we have is majority of pools obviously have steps and not a gradual entry. And... When a dog feels the ground disappear from underneath them, it's got to be unnerving. Think about in the animal world, I mean, a dog, right? Like just a dog. How often does the ground just disappear from under their feet? I mean, the answer is almost never, right? The only time that really happens and it's not the ground disappearing, it's them getting lifted up uh, is when they're a puppy and mom's lifting them up by their scruff and, and moving them around, Right. But other than that, and human beings intervening and picking them up, but other than that, dogs don't leave the ground. The ground doesn't leave from under their feet. So that initial step into the pool, I think, can be a little terrifying for them. You know, number one, you have the water kind of messing with their vision and their sight. They can't they can't really tell where that first step is. And it's usually a doozy of a drop. You know, my 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 house that I lived in in Orlando, you know, the pool they had the previous owners had actually added pavers to the patio. So that added like an extra two inches of height from the step down into the pool. I, it was a huge step for myself, let alone my dogs. So it definitely, it took some, some training, right. And some work to teach them that it's okay. And they can jump in on that, on that step. And my current pool, you know, it, unfortunately no gradual entry and the steps are not exactly wide and even worse. The steps actually, I don't know why this, I, I have no clue why they did this, but the steps are even at like an angle into the pool. So when you step down, you almost fall forward. So it's even more like, a, you know, a little difficult for the dog. So it takes some extra technique, some extra finesse, and a little bit of extra patience um, to, to get the dogs comfortable with that. So with that said, if you have a lake, a river, somewhere safe with a gradual entry, right, gradual entry into the water, that is the best way to teach your dog to get into the water comfortably, okay? Dogs tend to accept it a lot better with a gradual entry than with steps. So that's the first thing, is if you can set your dog up for success by having a gradual entry, please do. Uh, the next thing, go get a life jacket for your dog, okay? We gotta set our dog up for success before we even get them in the water by putting a life jacket on them. Find one that obviously fits comfortably. Come on, obvious stuff here. They have them on Amazon, they have them at the pet stores, they have them everywhere, guys. Find a good dog life jacket, okay? It can actually help them feel very buoyant. You know, a lot of dogs, when they first get in the water, they'll they'll autopilot, you know, the autopilot kicks on. We all know it when you start moving a dog toward the water, like you have a little dog and you're, you're starting to drop them into the water slowly. And what happens? The front feet start kicking in autopilot mode, but the back legs don't always follow suit. And so what ends up happening is if they're trying to kick with the front legs and almost in a panicky way because they're not used to the water and they forget to use their back legs, what happens? 
they turn into a buoy, <laughs> right? Their butt sinks, they go vertical, and then they start sinking, and that's not so good, all right? It's obviously not good. And it can make them go into panic mode even more. And that's the last thing we want with our dogs when we're teaching them to swim. So adding that light fest, <clears throat> excuse me, adding that light fest can actually make them feel buoyant in the water and make them feel a lot more comfortable. And in doing so, it just that alone, just having that buoyancy, guys, I watch it all the time where all of a sudden the back legs will just start going because they feel more comfortable. They feel like they're floating and it just naturally kind of occurs. Then they're starting to swim, right? Because now we got all four legs going and they're actually doing it. So life vest is, is, is such a key component that a lot of people skip over and don't really think about. Get a life vest for your dog. It's everything. It really helps when you're teaching them to swim for the first time. Now, again, going back safety side of it, <laughs> right? If you are out in a lake, if you are out in a river, if you're somewhere in public, if you're just boating with your dog, it's a good idea to throw a life vest on them, okay? Not just from them floating, but also from a visual perspective. A lot of dogs have dark coats. They're going to blend in with the color of the water more. So having a nice bright life jacket on, just like with a person in the water, right? Same concept. Uh, it can be a good way to keep them safe, to ensure that they're going to be safe. So not only if you're swimming in a pool, okay? All right, so we got the safety kind of stuff out of the way. The next thing you're going to want to do, guys, it goes back to basics. Anytime we're training our dog, what do I always want you to do? Leash them up. Yes, leash them up because... Teaching your dog to swim is training. It really is at the end of the day. And one of the easiest ways to get rid of fear of water with your dog is to not let them be fearful. And so what I mean is don't let them run away from the water. By leashing them up, you're actually shutting down that option of them being able to panic. It's amazing what can happen when you slap a leash on a dog and don't allow them to freak out by just not letting them run away. You know, Riker, here's another great example. Riker teaching him to swim. It's going great. It is. He's actually starting to enjoy it. But man, he did not at first. <laughs> he was absolutely terrified of the pool at first. Now, what I can do and I have the advantage of is that I have a lot of, you know, my own dogs that like to swim. I have other dogs that come in for doggy day camp, boarding, all these different things. Point is, I have a lot of different dogs that go in the pool. And dogs can learn from each other. We know that. So they'll actually watch each other. And once they see the other dogs going in the pool and they, they're having fun with it and they can see they're going in, coming out, going in, get chasing balls, and they're having a good time. The dogs that don't know the pool is fun are kind of like, hey, that's, that looks kind of fun. I want to go check that out. <laughs> and before you know it, curiosity grows and it makes it easier to, to introduce them to the pool, right? Um, so that's one advantage I do have is... I like to let my new dog watch all the other dogs before I even try to get them in the pool. I like to let them watch and experience the other dogs swimming first. Okay. Now, Riker was not all about it. <laughs> even after watching the other guys, yeah, he got a little closer to the pool and everything, but he really wasn't sure. And every time I would try to kind of go, hey, come, you know, try to entice him to come toward the pool when I'm in the pool. No, he would run away. So what do we do? We leash him up. We leash him up. I took away the option of, of him running away. And yeah, guys, we have full-blown honesty. First time I leash him up and bring him a little bit toward the pool, he freaks out a little bit. He did. He freaked out a little bit, but we, we, we calm him down by not letting him run away, by using a Martin, martingale collar, by using the proper leash, and by showing him backing away from the pool is not getting you anything. 
okay? But moving toward the pool, the tension of the collar releases. I say, good boy, give you a little pet. You back away from the pool, little tension on the leash. You move forward, tension releases. I'm making it very black and white for my, my dog to understand. Backing away and being fearful of this pool doesn't get you anything. This is where it starts right here, guys. This is where it starts, by leashing them up and not letting them panic. Backing away gets you a tight collar. Moving toward the pool, the collar releases, and hey, maybe I'll even bring out a treat. Tell him good boy, give him some food. Start associating the fact that moving toward the pool gets him something he likes. Okay, So I think a lot of people, really, the first thing that they miss out on is not leashing up their dogs and letting their dogs panic and run around the pool and pace and freak out and... Don't let them do that. Just just leash them up. It's that simple, okay? Um, so that's where it kind of has to start is by by gently, you know, we're not, we're not forcing, we're not going crazy. I'm not like yanking them toward the pool or anything. We take it slowly, okay? If he goes to back away from the pool, I just put a little tension on the leash. The second he moves forward, the tension releases. I tell him, good boy, and give him a treat, okay? I try to get him forward by like six inches. He... Backs away again, little tension on the leash. He moves forward, I release the tension of the leash, tell him, good boy, and give him a treat. Guys, before you know it, it's going to become very black and white to the dog of, oh, every time I back away, this doesn't work for me. Every time I move toward the pool, I get brazen food. That's where it starts is just by getting them close to the pool and reinforcing and strengthening that behavior of moving closer toward the pool. Keep it simple, okay? That's where we got to start. Baby steps, keeping it simple, all right? Rome was not built in a day. Training doesn't happen overnight. Pool is one of those things where I'm not going to rush it, guys. You might spend two weeks just doing this first step. I don't want you to push it because, unfortunately, if you push it too fast, too hard, your dog becomes fearful of the pool, and then it can make it worse. Then you have to do, undo all of that before you can even build them back up again. So I, I don't push it. With Riker, I would say it took uh, two months. Yeah, it was about two months of being on the edge of the pool, starting to get the feet in two months before he's like in the pool swimming. And he's still, we're still not, he's not like jumping, leaping right in yet. I have to invite him. Now I'm getting to the point that I can go, come on, buddy, come in the pool, entice him to come into the pool. I don't have to, no leash, no nothing. And he's coming in on his own. He's a little hesitant about it. He's still trying to figure it out, but he's coming in on his own. And it's all because I took my time with it. Guys, I can't stress it enough. Look, Years ago, before I knew better, I tried to kind of, you know, get the pool going a little faster, and it, and it backfired. It did. I'm perfectly willing to. I'm a human being. I had to learn somehow. Um, we pushed it too hard, too fast, and the dogs are a little more resistant. And oh gosh, take it slowly, baby steps. Okay. So once you spend time, and again, it, you don't have to do two weeks necessarily of getting them used to the pool. If they get used to the pool in three days, then awesome. Move them a little closer towards the steps then. It's time to, time to push it forward. The timeline of this is going to change to each individual dog, okay? Their behavior is going to dictate whether we're ready to move forward or whether we need to keep doing this and rinse and repeating a little longer, all right? Um, okay, so let's say we get them over toward this step. We're going to continue reinforcing, continue feeding, continuing these basic concepts moving forward. Nothing's going to change from here on out, guys. Baby steps. Every time he backs away, little tension. Every time he moves forward, release the tension treat. So when we get to the steps, this becomes a little trickier. Now, if you have a big dog, please be careful with this because <laughs> they can be strong. Uh, but you're going to get in the pool. 
okay? You're going to get in the pool, you're going to leash your dog up, you're gonna entice them over toward the steps. Now you've been working at it, so hopefully they'll come over nicely toward the steps. And you wanna just try to entice them and encourage them to come in the pool. Just, you know, hey, come on, bud, let's go, let's go. And hopefully they'll put their front their front paws right on that first step. That's the idea. Hopefully they'll do that. And if they do, again, treats, praise, reward, affection, sound, go boy, don't force them in any further. Now let's say they're reluctant. Let's say they don't wanna put their feet down for you. Well, we kind of have to give them a little bit of encouragement sometimes using the leash. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's the same concept as when we were outside the pool. We're now moving it into the pool, okay? I do give a little bit of a pull, a little bit of an encouragement tug, if you will, to try to pull them in to get those feet on the first step, okay? They might resist a little bit, I know, but you just, just very gently, very easily, we're going to create that tight collar if you're backing away, loose collar if you put those feet in, if you move toward the pool, move into it. The second those feet get in the pool and hit the step, you got to release the tension on that collar immediately and give them food and praise, guys. Guess what we're going to do after this? Rinse and repeat that. Oh, <laughs> you betcha. I, I don't need him to get in any further. Once he gets the front feet in, then I let him step out of the pool. Tell him, good boy, don't let him run away. Okay, then we're going to do it again. Come on, buddy, entice him to come forward, a little tension on the collar, get those front feet on the front first step, release the tension, good boy treats and reward. Rinse and repeat this, guys, a couple times. You can spend a week, literally, you can spend just a week practicing getting the front feet on the step, and that's it, nothing more. We don't need any more. That's all I need. I just want to start getting him used to that, encouraging and strengthening the behavior of going in the pool, okay? Once we get the front step, first step, what do you think is going to happen next, guys? We're going to go to the second step and take our time. <laughs> Same thing. Now, if your pool is like mine, my first step's not very big. The second step gets a lot longer and bigger, and there's more room. And I can actually have a dog stand on all fours on the second step, and the water will be up to, you know, a medium, large-sized dog. The water's going to be up to, like, the bottom of their chest, right? So that's the next step. Get them in on all fours because now it's not just the front feet. Now we got all fours in the pool. That's big progress right there. We're going to be doing the same thing, guys. Same thing. Little bit of, uh, of pressure pulling them forward on the collar to that second step. Once they're on the second step, releasing the tension, reinforcing, strengthening with treats and affection. Okay. Then, okay, here's the big day. We're going in the pool finally. Like we're actually going in. Once they get comfortable going in on step number one, step number two, hopping out of the pool. Step number one, step number two, they're perfectly comfortable to hang out on step number two for a couple minutes. They're not panicking and trying to jump out of the pool. Once they're really getting acclimated and cool with it, it's time to go for a swim. Okay, now they've got their life vest on, so this, this should go very well. This should be really easy. I'm going to give them that encouragement to come swim in the pool. But, you know, I'm going to go a little deeper into the pool, pull the leash, and just give them a little tug forward. And you'll see, they'll start taking their front paws and putting them off the edge because they know there's an edge there and they'll leap into the pool at that point, guys. May not be pretty the first time, okay? If anything, what you can do is you can use the hand, most, most, um, most of these life vests come with a handle on top. And what you can do is put one hand, I, you know, I'm, I, I like to do it this way, I'm right-handed. So I'll use my left hand to grab the top of the handle and then I'll use my right hand to support underneath them, like right on their stomach, just, just below the chest, almost on the stomach area. And I will use my right hand to support 
and keep them straight and buoyant, right? And that way they can, it's just like a little kid. When we teach a little kid to swim, what do we do? You know, the instructor holds the kid in the water uh, and allows them to kick and paddle so they can start feeling the buoyancy and learning how to keep themselves afloat. No different with a dog. I'm going to hold that handle and then support them from underneath, letting them feel comfortable, supporting their body and letting them swim around. We're going to go for a quick swim loop right back to the steps. Let them get out. Tell them, good boy, don't let them run away. They're still leashed up at this point, guys. Leash and life vest is still on while we're swimming, okay? Because you're there. You're monitoring this. This is not an unmonitored thing. You're controlling everything, okay? Guess what you're going to do now? Rinse and repeat. <laughs> Take your time. First step, second step. Guide them into the pool. Once they're swimming, good boy, we're holding onto that handle, supporting from underneath, letting them take another quick half circle right back to the steps. Rinse and repeat that a few times, guys. Before you know it, you'll start extending it to letting them swim circles in the pool, letting them swim across the pool. You're going to guide them around, showing them that if you have multiple exits out of your pool, if you have multiple stairs, show them where all the steps are and go to those steps multiple times. You need to go at least two to three dozen times showing them where those steps are over and over and over and over. So your dog understands when they get in this pool, that's how I get out. There's no panic. There's no thought. It's autopilot. That's where I'd go to get out. Okay. That's what you need to do. All right. Now, I mean, I've spent 20 minutes talking about this, talking about getting our dogs to swim because it's a process. Just like all training guys, this is a process. And this is one of those things where I'm going to reiterate, please don't rush this. I can't stress this enough. Don't rush swimming with your dogs. If it takes three months to get your dog comfortable with swimming, guess what, guys? It takes three months. Please take your time. And going back and referencing one of my other segments, listen to your dog. Go back and listen to that segment. That's another good one. Uh, yeah, you know, last week was why your dog does not listen to you. That's another great one. Um, but, you know, episode, uh, what was that? That was episode 41. Episode 41, listen to your dog. Another great segment, guys. But these go hand in hand. My point I'm trying to make is you need to listen to your dog on if they're ready to move forward. If they need to spend more time just getting close to the pool and around the pool and you reinforcing and strengthening that, spend a month doing that. Listen to your dog and what their behavior is telling you and if they're ready to move forward with the training, okay? That's really important. It really is because this is just one of those things. It's water. I don't want my dog to be freaked out by water. I don't. So you have to take it slowly and acclimate themselves. Now, with that said, not every dog is going to be a champion swimmer. Not every dog is going to end up loving the water in the end, and that's okay, that's okay. Majority of dogs can end up enjoying the water to some degree, even if they're just jumping in and out of the steps, that's fine. But look, my half lab, half Great Dane, half lab, that's a swimming dog. Great Dane's not necessarily the best swimmers. And unfortunately, poor Penny, uh, my half lab, half Great Dane, you know, she, she passed away in March, um, but she was not a swimmer. Her body wasn't made for it. She, she couldn't do it well. And it, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. So some dogs are not built for it. Some dogs are just not going to be the best at it. That's why we can give them life vests and things like that tote that, that might help them feel more comfortable with it. And before you know, Hey, maybe they will end up enjoying it in the end if you condition it properly. Okay. So don't be discouraged if your dog doesn't love to swim. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. Um, but if you take these steps, and especially if you start from a young age, right? If you start doing this from a puppy, you're more likely 
you're more likely that your, your dog is going to enjoy and love swimming. So just kind of take your time with it. Make sure you're doing it properly. Acclimate them slowly. Get a life vest on them. Always use a leash when we're training, guys. Always use your treats and reinforce and strengthen any desired behaviors. That's moving toward the pool, putting their feet in the pool, getting in the pool. Anything like that we want to strengthen. Really, that's what it comes down to to get your dogs acclimated to the pool. So, you know what? We got we got a little bit of a, well, I guess it's officially fall, but we have a little bit of swimming weather left. So, be sure you guys get out there, do it safely, and let's go swimming with our dogs. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Bichon Frise. The Bichon is a member of the non-sporting group, and they can get to be from 12 to 18 pounds. Loving, playful, and intelligent dogs, the Bichon Frise makes a wonderful companion for just about anybody. They get along well with dogs, with people, with kids, pretty much just about anybody. Now, These small but hardy dogs are quick to learn and eager to please. Easily trainable, Bichons can be a delight to work with. They love to learn tricks, and they can also excel at agility, obedience, and more. These dogs really do make a wonderful companion, and they easily adapt to suburban, city, or apartment living as well. Even though these guys are small, they do need to be walked daily and given other activities as well to help keep them stimulated and help keep them happy. Generally healthy, there are a few things to be aware of, Bichons are prone to allergies, patella luxations, cataracts, and other eye diseases as well. Something else to consider is the amount of time and money one is going to have to spend to keep their coat healthy. The Bichon should be brushed at least two to three times a week. Ideally, though, it should be every single day. They will also need to visit the groomer regularly to help keep that coat in check. Kept in good health, though, the Bichon can live to be 14 to 15 years old. The Bichon shares its own history with a group of all-white dogs that were all developed along the Mediterranean, known as Barbichon types, and all these dogs have the same looks and dispositions. These also include the Havanese, the Maltese, and the Bolognese. It is believed that these breeds originated from Tenerife, the largest of the Canary Islands around the 14th century. Now, there is some debate on where the dogs originated before that. Some think the dogs were brought to the islands from Italian soldiers using Phoenician trade routes. Others say it was the Spaniards. But regardless of their origins, once the breed was developed and brought back to the mainland, European nobility fell in love with them. However, by the early 1800s, with the fall of aristocracies throughout Europe, the Bichons found themselves in dire circumstances. Because of their close association with the wealthy and royalty, this made them an unfavorable dog to many people. A large number of these pets, unfortunately, they were tossed out on the street. And the dogs were then picked up by circus and street performers who quickly saw the potential for training these dogs to perform tricks. The Bichon's adorable looks and intelligence, you know, it definitely played a large role in keeping the breed alive. In the early 1900s, the Bichon enjoyed some growth and popularity, but after World War I and World War II, the dogs struggled to survive yet again. But French dog fanciers were determined to not let the breed die out. After the wars, they picked up the dogs off the street and continued the breeding programs. The Bichon Frise found its way over to the United States in 1956. The breed then became eligible by the AKC to enter into the miscellaneous class in 1971. In 1973, the Bichon was eligible to show in the non-sporting group, and in 1975, the AKC recognized the Bichon Frise Club of America. 
the answer to today's trivia question, what is a group of cats called? It's a clouder. Yes, a group of cats is called a clouder. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from across the pond, Neville from Manchester, England. Our very first international question. Thank you for sending this in, Neville. Now, Neville asks, uh, he says, I'm having a very difficult time housebreaking my miniature poodle, Benji. He does not understand he is supposed to go outside. He will stand outside and just stare at me most of the time. Then we come back inside and he will go find a corner to pee in. What can I do to get this madness to stop? (laughs) Oh my goodness, Neville. Yeah, you know, part of it is you have a small dog. And the smaller the dog, the smaller the bladder. The smaller the bladder, the less control they have over it. Now, I'm just kind of going to guess and maybe say this is either a puppy or a rescue. Because it sounds like this is new, right? Uh, If he's a puppy... You know, it depends on the age. I've had some puppy segments in the past. You know, lots of great segments to go check out from the podcast on housebreaking and all kinds of stuff. So definitely go back, check out those segments. Um, But yeah, how do you how do you break this? You are going to have to be very strict. You you really are, Neville. You're going to have to be very black and white. And I don't mean strict mean. I mean strict as in very black and white with your rules, your expectations, and how you go about dealing with this. First things first. If you are not crating your dog, you need to crate your dog. If you are not home or if you are asleep, your dog must be in a crate, okay? That's the first way we want to curb housebreaking. Crate should only be big enough that they can get up, stand up, turn around in it, and lay back down safely, okay? Um, second thing you want to do is if you're not doing it yet, you need to make sure you have treats with you every single time you go outside. So when your dog finally does use the bathroom, because I'm assuming at least sometimes he will use the bathroom out there, uh, when he does, you need to be able to take advantage of that and reinforce and strengthen that behavior like crazy. And the only way to do it is by giving him a treat right away. The second he's done peeing, you cannot wait till you get back inside. You must reward him the second he's done peeing. Now, if he does not go to the bathroom, you're going to bring him back inside and you are not going to take off the leash. You are going to keep him attached to your hip, buddy. The second you see that nose going to the ground again or it looks like he needs to go, you're right back outside again. The problem is if you unleash him and just let him go back in your house, yeah, he's going to go find a corner and he's going to go pee. It's as simple as that, okay? The other thing is you need to know when your dog ate last and when they peed last. You don't want to be leaving food down as a free-for-all, you know, getting food. You need to control how much he's eating, when he's eating, and how much he's drinking, and when he's drinking. Now, by no means am I saying starve your dog or not give your dog water. Please make sure you're giving him enough. But puppies can overdrink. They do. They do it all the time. And he, a small dog like that will overdrink to the point that he cannot hold it anymore, and he will go in your house. There's not a darn thing you can do about it, okay? So unless you're controlling intake and output, unless you're reinforcing that outside when he goes, you're not going to get very far. So leash him up, crate, don't let him out of your sight in the house if he doesn't go to the bathroom and ward the heck out of it when he does go to the bathroom outside. Okay. You have to be very strict. I know you're going to be limiting your dog's freedom a bit for a little while, but it's the only 
way. It's the only way to get this house breaking under control. Okay. Can't stress that enough. So control intake and output, know when he's had that intake and output. Okay. Be sure you're reinforcing and strengthening anytime he does go outside, having treats with you every time and be sure you're utilizing a crate. So there's no uncontrolled peas when you're, or you know, any bathroom usage in the house when you're not there or you're asleep and not able to control it. Next question. Now, I do apologize if I mispronounce your name. I believe it's Rossi uh, from Rhode Island. Now, Rossi from Rhode Island says, I have a three-year-old standard poodle that I adopted, and her name is Libby. However, I also have a daughter whose name is Lily. <laughs> when I'm calling the dog or talking to my little one, it can be a bit confusing for both of them. Should I bother changing her name? The poodle, that is. <laughs> right, I like that. Yeah, you know, look, I'll be honest. The short answer is... Yes, yes, you can change your dog's name. And yes, it is going to be confusing for both Lily and Libby. <laughs> That's not going to get less confusing. You look, your your dog, dogs are capable, and especially something like a poodle, very, very smart, very intelligent dogs. They can learn to pick that out, right? Libby versus Lily, but that's that's tough. That's tough. That would take some time and some real rehearsal, if you will. Um, so no, you know, I'm, I have no problem. I know the dog is three years old, but there's no problem in changing the dog's name, okay? I know I might hear some moans and groans out there from some people, but that's been the dog's name for three years. Look, guys, the dog doesn't have an emotional attachment to its name. It It, it just doesn't. It's not a human being. Lily, on the other hand, probably has an attachment to her name. <laughs> she's, she's a human. She's a person, of course. Uh, but dogs just don't have that attachment to their name. The only reason that a dog knows it's their name is because we've conditioned it that way. Uh, so you can change your dog's name. It's really simple. You know, and the easiest way to do it um, is, I, you know, I've talked about the kissy noise before them right? Kissy noise. I like to use the kissy noise as a form of redirection to redirect a, a dog's attention to me. So here's what you're going to do to, to, to do this, to rename. Okay. Let's say you want it. And I always, I like to use the name fluffy as, as a generalized standard dog name. Let's say you're renaming your dog fluffy. Uh, you, what you're going to do is you're going to get some treats and you're just going to make that kissy noise. Say fluffy. And once that dog looks at you, once, once, uh, your, your poodle looks at you, give him a treat. You do it again. Fluffy, new name, give the dog a treat. Fluffy, they look at you, give them a treat. Okay. One little trick I want you to do is take that treat and bring it below your chin after you make the kissy noise and call your dog's new name, getting them to create eye contact with you, getting them to focus on you. So we're doing a couple things here. We are patterning kissy noise means look at me, and you're also saying their new name with the kissy noise. So they'll start understanding that that name is their name, right? You're calling them, they look at you, you create focus and you reward and strengthen it. Um, so that's how you can easily rename your dog. I know, I know everybody, oh, he's gonna rename. No, don't, don't listen to anybody. If you want to rename the dog that you adopted, there is nothing wrong with that. And especially if it's a logistical, legitimate reason, because yes, your dog is going to get confused and Lily might get confused. So <laughs> by all means, rename your dog. There's no problem there. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, again, guys, thanks for the questions. Keep them coming. I love it. We had a question from you know uh, England today, which was amazing. Please keep the questions coming. Any questions at all about dogs, about training, about animals, anything you guys got, send it over my way. Questions at speakadogcast.com. 
That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Don't forget to find me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.